Hailed by Yale University as one of the hundred most relevant tattoo artists in the world today, Oginondon Bass's journey reads like an awe-inspiring and humbling story of relentless determination, work ethic and fiery talent winning against the kind of odds the privileged among us tend to think exist in a parallel universe. He set historical, cutting-edge standards of art history in his field. Born and raised in a post-colonial refugee community of removed Bangladeshi immigrants, calmlessly categorized as collateral damage to the controversial, poorly executed division of the Indian subcontinent in the historical city of Calcutta, the bittersweet reality of his hourly charges for a tattoo today being substantially more than the monthly wages of his father's 12-hour-a-day job meant to provide for the entire family, while never lost in him, her events he's only recently started to process and take pride in. In the first part of this no-holds-barred conversation, we visit our common ancestral city to dig deeper into how it all began. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. And we're rolling. Hi, do, man. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a while since we since we met, like two weeks, two, three weeks. I mean. Indeed. Yes. Well, in comparison to some of my other guests, it's you're probably one of the most <laughs> recent faces I've seen. But yes, for our, for <laughs> yeah, our standards, sure. it's been a while. Yes. In fact, yeah. uh, you're um, the first guest uh, on the cast who actually happens to share a common geographical location too, in fact, but even like a current geographical location. Probably also the one of the first who's non-music related. Um, not the first though. We had, ah. uh, we had Tayo Roxon on, who's a friend of mine from New York, who, uh, who's a public speaker and uh, like an equity ah. specialist. And we had him on right after the Black Lives Matter thing happened. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, actually, contrary to a lot, of, what a lot of people think, I, I wasn't really. I didn't start doing this to have musicians on per se. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, mm, in fact, if anything, in some ways, I kind of try and use this as a counterbalance to the most stereotypical concepts of. Um, you know, what a musician usually talks about, if that makes any sense. Right, right, yeah. In my life, I, you know, I, I don't really, I'm always the guy who, I don't really have a lot of musician friends I hang with, believe it or not. I prefer hanging, I don't I don't want to say prefer, but mm. most of my friends have been from the very different walks of uh, life as far as their passion or work is concerned. It's passion and dedication that I'm always on the lookout for. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a little different for me. Yeah, I think uh, most of my yeah most of the most of my friends, of course not the old ones like not the ones from school or college, uh, but any I think most of my friends after college have uh, all been through tattooing. Huh. So yeah, and some of my like closest uh, and. Longest lasting friendships have been with uh, other tattooers. I can relate to that. Mm. I can imagine. Um, well, I gotta set the record straight. A couple of my closest friends do happen to be musicians. I'll just, I, I guess, what I'm trying to say is being my friend one is uh, not something for which being a musician is a prerequisite for, or even coming onto this podcast. Right, right. Also. <laughs> being a musician is not a prerequisite. It's a. Uh, I'm interested yeah, yeah. in people with, you know, interesting, uh, well, not interesting, but meaningful stories to share. And yours definitely qualifies as one. Uh, wow. And what a story, man. I don't even know where to start. Uh, where would you like to start? Why didn't you make that call? Um, 
Uh, I, I think you could you could just ask me what you want to know and then we see uh, we take it from there. Uh, I mean, where I want to start would probably be like in Calcutta. Oh, definitely. I, um, I think what I really want to do is have you talk about things you wanted to but never found a platform to do so. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We can do that. That's yeah. gonna get like. I mean, I'm not pretty. How, how long do we have? We have as much time as we need. <laughs> we have right. as much time as we need. Uh, I want to focus on your work though, primarily, but everything revolving around it. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to thank you for doing this. I mean, this is my first uh, podcast that I'm a part of. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, you sound like I'm a pro, great. though. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I probably that's because uh, probably I listen to a lot of them. That's oh, why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it's a it's a really um, pretty honored and happy that uh, you asked me to be a part of it. Honor's all mine, brother. What? Quite, quite excited. Quite excited too. Awesome. Go for it. Ah, uh, so uh, the, my origin story is what you're after, basically, right? How how did I how did I start or? Um, let's stop it because I know for a fact your um, childhood has played a big role in your art. True. Yeah, right. For uh, sure, yeah. So would you be comfortable starting there? Uh, yeah, sure. No problem. I think childhood, uh, we, I mean, it takes us a while. I think it's it's adulthood that teaches us how important childhood really was, you know. Well said. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's it's when uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, South uh, South Kolkata, in a, a place called Behala. Uh, it's, it's a place called Robindra Nagar, which is like a part of Behala. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty, uh, it's a very small, pretty tightly knit community of uh, uh, Bangladeshi refugees, basically who came who came to India during the partition. Mm-hmm. And uh, and settled there. So the the area where I where I grew up in that wasn't even part of the the West Bengal map. It was not even part of the the Calcutta Municipal Corporation map. It was outside of it. It just got included in it like maybe like a decade back, like maybe wow. ten. So 10, technically, it wasn't even India you were born in. Technically, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was part of India, but it is probably not part of like the the municipal corporation. You know, like it was not. Yeah registered so yeah technically i was not <laughs> born in uh, i was born in no man's land yeah wow that's amazing, kind of man. yeah yeah and uh, yeah and it was pretty much what you expect uh, kind of like a water uh, you know like a refugee colony would look like after uh, maybe 10 15 years of being there so basically what the, the Bangladeshi immigrants were, who were basically my grandmother, my father was super young when, when they moved. So what they basically did was they they cleared all the all the marshland and the and then the forests and settled there. But usually the land was not did not belong to them. It was uh, for in my grandmother's case, the land belonged to one of her uh, I think one of her cousins or nephews mm-hmm. and we were just like they were just allowed to stay there for a while it, it was like years late, later that my dad after he's been work, he, he'd been working for a while that he saved up enough money to be able to buy that land from his uh, his uncle uh, but for that many years we were just kind of like allowed to stay there so we were not we did not even really like have like a proper house made of like concrete or anything. It was very a hut. It was not really a hut because you know you you see real huts in in the villages of India. Yeah, but it was yeah, not really yeah. that, yeah. but it was kind of like an in between thing. You know, like our our roof was uh, made of tiles and bamboo. Right. So it would it would like in the monsoons it would be very tricky because. We were surrounded by a lot of coconut trees, and so the coconuts would often fall on the on the roof, and it would uh, crack the tiles. And then in the monsoon, the water would be like <laughs> falling down. So we had to keep buckets in the room to collect yeah. all the water that was falling from the roof. You know, 
Yeah, I've stayed in one of those houses actually, in for a year uh, in down south. I mean, when I think about it now, it's it's it seems pretty cool, but that time it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, now it seems seems nice, but like uh, that that point of time, it wasn't. So how did you feel at that point of time? When when I was very young, it was a lot of fun because uh, I thought, okay, it's so cool that water is falling from top, and we are putting like these buckets in the in the in our in the middle of the room. It just it just it was like a fun thing, you know, but as I grew up, uh, you know, the world has its way of telling you where you stand, right? Even even if you're, uh, if you're very young. Could you tell us a little more about that? How, 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 how did you feel the world was telling you uh, where they thought you stood? Yeah, okay. So I went to, I went to a really, um, let's say, I think I don't, I shouldn't use the word expensive, but it was pretty expensive. So a very expensive private school, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, and it was, so it was mostly a lot of uh, rich kids Mm -hmm. coming to the school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, I mean, you eventually find out where, where you stand, you know, like if you, if you, if you are being dropped to school on a, on a really broken old bicycle and then you see your friends coming being dropped by like private shoppers in, in, in really sedans and big long cars then you realize you know it's a visual thing too right you you yeah. immediately understand where you are gotcha okay i hear you and also kids and kids are not really very kids can be pretty pretty rude and oh, pretty, kids can be total assholes man yeah total assholes yeah, yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I know I've been one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both a kid so, and an asshole. Yeah. So. yeah, and and I realized that pretty pretty early, pretty early in my childhood, I realized exactly what the difference was. And do you remember how old you were when you when you were when you were acutely conscious of the difference? Um, I would say. Six, seven years old, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, six, seven is when I was was starting to get, you know, have an idea that uh, yeah, things were not really the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why. Mm. I mean, that took me like years of uh, years to understand why it was like that. Uh, but I, I realized that it was it was different for different people. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, the positive thing about growing up in that place uh, was, I mean, there were a lot of positives. One of them was that I grew up around a lot of greenery, a lot of animals, and uh, even even some wild animals. Like there were like foxes and and wow. monitor lizards, yeah, and and uh, lots of fishes because we had like. Because, you know, it was, uh, they tried to kind of recreate like parts of Bangladesh in that area. So that like every house would have like a small pond. And uh, then there would be a big pond also where you could just go fishing. And all these ponds would be full with fishes that, you know, on a, on a you could just, we could just sit there and fish if you want. Amazing. So, yeah, there were like a lot of snakes around because there was like a rice paddy right opposite right behind our house it was uh, so there were a lot of snakes there were huge humongous rats really uh, yeah like when you I say mean, humongous i mean rats are kind of humongous anyway how humongous are we talking yeah they're very big <laughs> like you wouldn't want to meet one of those in the in the, in the night wow yeah, wow pretty big big rats a lot of mongoose because there were a lot of snakes around so there were a lot of mongooses around in the night, you would hear the foxes. Jesus, um, amazing. Yeah, it would. I mean, in the monsoon, obviously, uh, there were the drains were not closed. We had like open open sewers. So in the monsoon, the water would it would flood, like all the ponds, all these small ponds would flood over. So there would be fishes uh, on the street. So you could literally just uh, walk on the street in the monsoon and catch fishes uh, on the street. And we have done that. Like I've caught crabs, fishes. Uh, Wow! Sometimes you might, if you're not so lucky, you might even uh, catch a snake or two. <laughs> I've had some of my friends from Bangladesh tell me stories like that, like that too. During monsoon, how they go fishing and just you know find fish on the country yeah. paths. Uh, yeah, it seems it seems unreal, but kind of kind of beautiful. So you, so it was almost like 
it was almost like taking a piece of Bangladesh with you, wasn't it? Like for your family. It was, yeah. I mean, I think, I think what they tried to do when they when they moved from Bangladesh to to Kolkata, they tried to recreate a little bit of that. You know, they tried to. So they they tried to build their uh, new home in in the image of what they had to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably why it it was like that. It was a it was a very interesting place to grow up in. It was very tightly knit. Everyone knew each other. Everyone even knew what the other person was cooking. Like, wow. so it was <laughs> because it was very tightly knit. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Interesting place to grow up. And I, I'm very, I am very grateful now that I grew up there. You know, it took mm-hmm. me a very long time to be to be thankful for the things that I I, I re- received and I learned because of the fact that I grew up there. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that there were quite a few, um, quite a few demons you had to confront throughout the process. So, take take us through. Um, I remember you telling me that your family had to work very hard to put you through your school because it was uh, one of the best schools in in the city. So, to start off with, a uh, mad respect at your family for taking that initiative. Yeah. And uh, would you say were there others in your community as well who were also going to similar schools, or were you one of the very few? Uh, to sadly, I do not know anyone else. Uh-huh. Very, I would say uh, now, yeah, now yes, because uh, uh, some of them had seen what the effects of uh, better education is, right? Mm-hmm. So that has opened their their eyes a little bit that uh, they need to they need edu- need to educate their kids in a proper way. So now, yes, a lot of lot of the kids nowadays they're going to better schools. But uh, when I was growing up, I think I was the only one from that like my neighborhood who went to a school like that. How's that for you in your community? I mean, I, I can imagine the feelings of division at school where you're seeing these rich privileged kids who obviously have a very different lifestyle to yours. But in your community too, you're the only one who's going to a school very different to the rest of uh, yeah. your kids. Yeah, and so. that's, that is where it gets interesting. It gets like, uh, uh, this was tricky. It was very tricky. You know, I don't really know how I managed because it, I lived kind of like a double life uh-huh. from a very, very early age. Right? Wow. Yeah, so there was like a... So on my way back from school to my uh, to my house, after one point of time on 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 the road, it would uh, I had to switch. You know what I mean? Like I had to be hmm. like in school. I was uh, I was a different person because I couldn't really show everyone where I'm from, right? Because uh, in some circles that would not be considered to be polite, right? Hmm. Really? <laughs> Especially in the yeah, I mean, those, those the kids I was hanging out with, my school kids, not all of them, but a lot of them came from, like, really rich families, like one of the, you know, and so, I mean, and the, my friends back home, like, in, where I'm from, they were uh, wilder, much more, much more wilder, and uh, so... The, the 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 language that I use with them, oh, right, I wouldn't okay. I I got be allowed to use that okay. language. Yeah. So you have to so you to tone it down a little, go easy on uh, the, uh, easy uh, on the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here, yeah. But did you ever did you did you feel the need to hide where you came from when you were at the school? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. yeah, absolutely. I've I've hid hid it throughout my throughout my school life. Uh, I mean, this I have never really spoken about it. I think this is the first time I'm, I'm talking about it. But like none of my school friends know where I live. Wow. Except, except for one, because that, he lived like pretty close to my uh, in my house. So <laughs> I had no choice but to... But he was a, he's a good friend of mine, very close friend of mine. And he comes from a similar similar background. Not exactly the same, but similar. Uh, so apart from this one person, no one else, no one else knew where I lived. So to start off with, thanks for that. Thanks for trusting this uh, platform to talk about that. Um, much appreciated. And secondly, would you say that was a defense mechanism, or were, were you struggling with feelings of guilt and shame? Uh, it's a part of both. Yeah. 
it was both. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely defense mechanism because I I couldn't let uh, anyone. I would say in school or outside bully me bully me for, you know, something that I had no control over. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. And right. also, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to, because you know, poverty it can teach you a lot of things. It might even give you a few things in terms of life lessons and stuff like that. But what it does not give you is dignity. You know, so as sad true. as it might be, but it does not give you that. No yeah. one, no one, no one treats a poor person nicely. No one does that. So I, I realized that at a very young age and I kind of like, yeah, I was embarrassed. By Important words. Very well said. Very well said. Um, yeah, man, I'm going to have to remind remember that one very sad and very true it is true yeah but i was so i was a little i was quite embarrassed um and it t- took me very long to convert that as as a source of inspiration or power or uh, you know inspiration or power or pride even uh, i wouldn't say pride i don't like to use that word that much but kind of like gratefulness you know mm-hmm. because of the things that that it taught me but at that point of time, when you're so young, you don't, you you are embarrassed, you know. And I was too. I appreciate your sentiment about pride being something to be uh, careful about. But I mean, I'm proud of you uh, as someone who has roots in the same city, and I'm really proud of the long way you've come. So I think it'd be, I'd go as far to say it'd be okay for you to feel a little pride if you know, just my two pence. But uh, keep going. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll be a little, I'll, I'll be a little proud. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow that. Okay. Um, yeah, man, I was, I was, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much how my uh, childhood was spent. You know, at one point in time, I, was, I had to hide where I come from in my school. And at the, at the same time, back home, I had to hide what the people I was hanging out with in school from my friends back home because they were like, right, right. you know, so it was a... So what's going on here? balancing act, balancing act. So yeah. why could you not share with your, uh, what was going on there with your friends in your community? Why was it tricky for you to let them know who you were hanging with at school? Well, because then I would be Mr. Fancy Pants, right? Anyway, right. I was going to fancy school. Mm. I was wearing a tie and all that, right? Mm. And and if I started bringing that over on on the on the playing ground, that was it. Then you know, <laughs> then I could I would be I would be not part of the group at all. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, Tightrope walk, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, I can very well relate it to that. Although my childhood is very different, it's also almost like a polar opposite to yours. I was probably one of the, I would probably qualify as one of those rich, privileged kids you might have hated at the time <laughs> uh, in some ways. But it's, uh, you it's might possible. Be, you, it probably is. I mean, I've actually been on the other side. Uh, I, I've, um, we, this might be interesting to get into later on. But uh, believe it or not, like the feeling of being ostracized for uh, things that are not in your control, that's something I can intimately relate to. Yeah, I mean, and it, it presents itself in so many different ways, right? I mean, I think that's one of the also one of the main reasons why people who grow up not belonging or, or not not with the feeling of not belonging anywhere usually end up finding a voice in the arts, right? Like it probably end up being a musician or an artist or a painter or, or an actor or, or any of those things, because uh, I think it fundamentally changes them. Yes. The fact that they could not, uh, they did not feel at home pretty much anywhere. Mm. Fundamentally changes them. The home needs to be found somewhere else. Uh, exactly. In, but let's um, let's get back to your story, though. Um, so, you're you're at school. How how were your teen years? How how was puberty? Whoa! Yeah, huh. this was <laughs> it was it was fun. It was fun. I had I was surrounded by good, pretty pretty good friends. I was surrounded by a lot of uh, good friends, and we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we spent a lot of time like playing outdoors. Awesome. Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, 
we played a lot of football, cricket. Yeah. How safe were you? Because this is um, this is also Calcutta, and in uh, in areas of the city which are um, more sidelined to a certain degree, for lack of a better term, yeah. there's a lot of gang culture as well. Was that something you had to deal with too? Well, there were gangs, uh, definitely gangs that were active in in the area where I grew up in. Mm-hmm. But if you are from that area, you, you wouldn't. Uh, you know, it was not something that would affect you directly. Right, because especially in Calcutta, they're usually doing what what they do because the police don't do their job the way they're supposed to. So, yeah, and it's also very political, right? They usually... And that too. It's a very political course. thing. So, I mean, if you are kind of not involved in any of that, especially mm. as, a, as a kid, you're not affected by it at all. My friends were, though, like some of the, the, the ones who did not really have the opportunity to to go to a good school or something like that. A or any them, opportunities whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Or any opportunities, yeah. Some of them did get involved in that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. But uh, when we were growing up, it did not affect us that much. I mean, there were gang wars and stuff like that that was going on. I mean, people were getting shot and killed and stabbed and all of that. But uh, it wasn't directly affecting our lives that much. What would you say kept you uh, sober and away and safe um, and focused on your own track during these times? Well, I wasn't sober all throughout, though. <laughs> but uh, I was, um, I mean, I had some, I had a, a period of time in my life where I was uh, not really this focused or I had no clue what I, where I was going, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that ha- that that also happens to, I would say, most of us. Exactly, anyway. exactly. I was just right? about to say, yeah. That happens to most of us too. But it's just that when you're young and you're like battling so many things at, at, at the same time and you don't really have any answers at all and there's no one around you to give you any answers, then you kind of take like, like the only course available. And at that point of time, it was just, you know, like, drugs or, or stuff like that basically we, we did a little bit of dabbled in a little bit of drugs at, when i was young so uh yeah I, and thankfully i didn't did not i did not get hooked on to any of that and, but uh, yeah that that happened and uh, you know in calcutta also it's pretty easily available there's a pretty strong exactly exactly I, I, exactly i was assumed that that was an environment you're very much exposed and dealing with um especially around about that time which is why i was curious about puberty and post puberty you know early adulthood late teenage years that's where most of us are dealing with the you know most of the crossroads so which is yeah. why i kind of you know re- circling back to that question what would you say? Because I think this is something... What kept me going is, yeah. is that the question. Yeah. yeah. It was mainly basically my, I think, my responsibility towards my parents. Really? Yeah. Because I knew I couldn't fuck up. Like that oh. wasn't an option at all. Interesting. So whatever I did, whatever I had to do, I had no clue what I was going to do, but I knew that whatever it is that I did, I had to succeed. Or I had to do it really well. Okay, I I thought you would. I was um, expecting you to say your art is what gave you the focus, but that's actually a very interesting answer. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I mean the art part of it came later. Really? And yeah, that came later. But it was the the fact that I had to do I had to do something for my parents because they did so much for me. That feeling of having to do something was always there. I mean, you couldn't ex- escape it. It was like a reality kind of like standing right in front of your face. So you couldn't escape it. Yeah. I mean, I tried. I did drugs and all that, but it didn't really help. No, they usually but... tend to not. Yeah. What's your first memory of your earliest encounter with art? With the art? Um, Generally. Yeah, that, that goes back a long time. back When I was... Uh, so... Uh, I've been told that my mother was a really good artist. I say was because uh, I've not seen her draw or paint at all. Like I've never seen her do that. But uh, her brother, my mama, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, who's also a very very good artist he always always claimed that my mother was better than him so she must have been really good unfortunately i've never seen her uh, draw mm-hmm. because probably you know she got busy with life and me and everything else so uh, but what i did see her doing was uh, draw alponas which uh, for people who do not know is like these uh, designs kind of like semi-geometric semi-organic designs that uh, we draw on the on the floor mm-hmm. due, during some festivals or religious festivals right so i've seen her do that and i think that probably uh was my or is my earliest memory of uh, design or drawing or art Beautiful. if you could call it that Beautiful. yeah and it's done with rice paint right yeah it's done with like ground powdered rice mixed with water yeah and you use your you dip like a cotton or a piece of cloth in it mm-hmm. and use your finger the cloth kind of provides like a like a source of the paint which is like rice water and then you use your finger to kind of draw the designs on the floor wow. yeah i would say that that is my earliest uh, memory of So, drawing so almost your artistic roots in some ways yeah i mean i think all my understanding of aesthetics and designing comes from that beautiful yeah um did tattooing happen happened first or painting i actually never painted i mostly drew because painting required you to buy stuff that i couldn't buy wow you know? so couldn't afford basically no no okay. i couldn't i just drew a lot i i, I was always drawing mm-hmm. i uh, was winning a few of these uh, sit and draw competitions that are very common in calcutta if uh, yeah, most yeah. people from calcutta would know these right and then during yeah. the puja or the festivals will have these sit and draw competitions and I, i was winning a few of those in, in my neighborhood So like crayon or pencil or pencil crayons mostly crayons yeah, yeah. crayons yeah and uh, because uh, sometimes these competitions would give those crayons too right they would like mm. give them out so <laughs> yeah. i didn't really have to buy buy anything so do you remember the first uh, competition you participated in yeah i think i won like three four of them oh. uh, i won one with my school uh in um, those this one competition in alipur uh, that was that i went through with my school and i won that one and there was a few in my uh, uncle's neighborhood there was i think one in my neighborhood yeah amazing uh, one in my uh, dad's office which i did not win and i have a very distinct memory of that loss like it wasn't like a, it wasn't a competition so I, i mean it was but it wasn't also but i remember that that drawing competition very very distinctly because i lost that one wow. and i i was absolutely sure that i was supposed to win mm. and it really broke me you know as as a kid i i came home and i cried how old were you i am i am not really sure but i think it was between like 8 to 10 years old i think around that time gotcha yeah because uh, I'll tell you why because it's a it's interesting story I mean it's a bit it's not a very funny story but it's interesting because uh, they had the, my dad's office uh, actually he worked in a factory so the all the factory workers and their kids and uh, some of the uh, managerial positions the people in the managerial positions their kids so they they in, they kind of started this sit and draw competition Mm-hmm. trying to bring all the family make it into a, like a family thing you know and uh, so i participated and the uh, theme of the competition was what what would you do on a holiday like on a, on a on a sunday mm-hmm. that was the or a sunday or a weekend like a holiday and uh, the person who was in charge of uh, organizing the competition he kind of like provided the theme but also told everyone that okay you are supposed to draw the, uh, that you're going to a picnic yeah. you know 
Yeah. You are supposed to draw that you're going yeah, to that picnic. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You can't tell an artist what to do. Yeah, especially kids, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Because, uh, yeah, kids, you should allow them to draw what they want. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. I did not listen to him. So I, I drew kind of... Um, I drew like, okay, in, on a Sunday, we were watch, we sit at home and watch television, which is a not, is less nicer than going to a picnic, yeah. like in reality. But I thought that, okay, I'm going to draw something else. And uh, that would like, you know, help me win the competition because I'm not drawing what everyone else is drawing. So it's going to be something else, something yeah, different. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. I did that. And I was like so sure that I was going to win. You know, I came, uh, I told my dad, um, oh, I'm going to win this for sure. I was not a bad drawing too. It was, it was all right. I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, then I lost, you know, I couldn't believe it. And then I realized that the, 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 the child, the other kid that won was the son of one of the managers of the factory. Uh-huh. You know, so they kind of turned this event into like a something, uh, yeah. you know, like ass kissing thing, you know, yeah, yeah. and use the kids as a tool to do that. That was disgraceful, I thought. And even as a kid, I realized that and or maybe it was just my mind playing tricks with me because to explain that uh, why I did not win. I doubt I it. I doubt it. I think children's minds play lesser tricks on them than adults do. I think children are much more intuitive regarding things like this. So, yeah, and it sounds like it. It definitely sounds like it. I mean, the whole premise of telling children, you know, asking children to participate in the creative drawing contest and then tell them exactly what they're supposed to draw, that in itself is, that's fucked up. Yeah, that is, right? Yeah. I remember I, I, I came back home and I cried a lot because I was like, why, why, I mean, why would you do that? Not because I did not win, but they did not like, they just used this drawing competition as a tool to, yeah. Yeah, and I'm pretty so, yeah, sure you're the only one from that entire bunch who went on to be a professional artist. I, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I, I could, it could be, yeah, could be. Because, yeah. you know, only someone who would feel that kind of pain over something like that has what it takes to take on the life of an artist. Yeah, because there's a lot of pain involved in that life. Yeah. <laughs> no, but not, but also f to feel deeply enough to cry over something like that. You know, that in itself is the yeah, sign. Yeah, yeah. You know? Which, how many eight or ten year old kids would you know bother that much? They'd probably be, you know, grabbing the next bag of popcorn over in the cartoon. You know, in a couple of hours after, just after it happened. But um, anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, I'm trying to figure out exactly when. So you, so you. You were into drawing from an early age. I'm trying to figure out when tattooing entered. Oh, that was uh, that was in college. That was uh, because uh, you know when when we were growing up, tattooing wasn't a thing in India. Like it, it was, there was nothing. Like I mean, in... there was of course, like there was a. Like a tribal tattooing was there, but you wouldn't see that in, in the cities. Yeah, that's the dichotomy of it all, which I want to address later on at a more appropriate time. I really want to pick your brain on this and get the facts straight. But yeah, but let's say in, in urban India, like the, the India we grew up in, or the, like the cities, it was like amidst... Contemporary tattooing wasn't around at all. Okay, I mean, contemporary, it, yeah. yeah. In India, contemporary electric tattooing is probably not older than... 20 years 25 years i would say yeah yeah it's not older than that uh i mean there were people doing it on like melas and and there were traveling traveling tattooers and tattoo families and tattoo tribes those existed wow. but uh, tattooing as we know today like in a studio environment with with like professional equipment high following hygiene practices and all of that that didn't exist till 25 years back i would say from mm. from my knowledge, mm. yeah, it was kind of like brought to India by uh, this man called Doctor uh, Jahangir Kohiyar. Just uh, sadly uh, passed away, like I think last year. Jahangir Kohiyar. Yeah, he was a he's a prof he was a professional psychiatrist in Maharashtra, Bombay. Huh. And uh, in the evening, he would convert his uh, chamber into a tattoo studio. Wow. And <laughs> it was a pretty uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of situation. And uh, he is considered to be the grandfather of uh, modern Indian tattooing. And rightfully so, because he's the one who uh, brought in the, the machines and the inks and the needles and stuff like that. Because he was trained in uh, 
he was studying in London, and that is where he also learned how to tattoo. And then he came back to India with all that knowledge. Right. Interesting. And he trained a lot of artists uh, who, in the in after him, uh, became like really, really established uh, tattooers and kind of paved the way for the future generations of tattooers, especially in the Maharashtra and that, that area. Do you and, remember? Uh, Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. No, no, please go on. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you actually? were made when was the first time you were aware of tattooing as a phenomena wwf or that time it was oh, w- 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 wrestling wrestling oh, yeah. okay those that's are the first time i saw t- yeah. tattoos on people that's the first time i saw elaborate tattoos on people and at which point did you say okay that's something so was your first what was your first reaction when you saw those i was cool yeah this is I, I immediately wanted it. <laughs> Do you remember uh, why you thought it was cool? I think it's a visual thing. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a visual thing because uh, obviously it's a very impressive uh, looking people and uh, and they have these these designs drawn on them, which becomes part of the character. like you you know this person because also sometimes because of the tattoo, right? Yeah like a lot of these wrestlers had these very designs tattooed on them which became like really famous uh, designs in itself mm-hmm. and uh, I thought it was so cool and so interesting that uh, they could do that uh, yeah so I got, I got tattooed at the first chance that I got <laughs> and, and and did you did you know you wanted to be tattooed when you saw the WWF wrestlers yeah absolutely yeah there was no doubt that I was going to get tattooed and between that and your first tattoo how many uh, how much time Oh, uh, decades. I mean, I saw WWF, I was exposed to that was probably, yeah, maybe when I was like 14. Hmm. And how old were you when you had your first tattoo? Uh, Well, not then. It's not not a decade now that I think about it. I think I got my first tattoo when I was 20, 20, 21, 2021, I think I would say. Hmm. Yeah, Uh, in in my college. So... 18, 19, 20. I would say 20, yeah. Um, tell us tell us about that first tattoo. How, how did it come about? Well, I was uh, I was in Bangalore. I was studying uh, in Bangalore. And uh, I think one evening I was just... Uh, we, I, we were out with our friends and to one of the party streets. We were just like walking, walking back uh, to our hostel. And there was this small little uh, poster on the wall which says, ah, permanent tattoos. And if you want to get a permanent tattoo, you you know contact this phone number or come to this address. Basically, that's it. There was nothing else on that. So I took down the number, called the guy, and uh, he said, okay, yeah, here my, my studio is in, I think the, the mall was called Dubai Plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, third floor, come here and we can we can discuss what you want, what you want to get. So... I uh, went there and I, I was like, it was very expensive, the tattoos. I mean, for that time, it was like pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. And he, he was probably the only only guy in that uh, in Bangalore at that time tattooing too. So gotcha. it kind of, kind of had like a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And it was a very cool place, a very, very small little shop, in, extremely small. But the guy was super friendly. It was very uh, looked like a heavy metal guy, you know. He was listening to very listening to heavy metal, bald head, you know. looks looks pretty cool. It was a nice place to be, and I felt pretty nice to be there. Good. And then I heard the price, and I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is uh, pretty out of my budget. So I had to kind of like. Uh, borrowed money from my friends and then I later worked in a call center for a while to pay him back. Wow. And got tattooed. Yeah. That's pretty much how I started. I mean, how I, my first tattoo. So just FYI for for my listeners, I just realized something. You were, let's say you were 21 Mm. and you're what, 32 now? I wish. I'm 35 now. Yeah, still, that's like, well, number one, stuff that's still very young and that just made me realize you've been like for my listeners. You're now you have been quoted to be officially one of the most significant tattoo artists in the world amidst amidst the first hundred. 
and that career is something you've went on to build in about in less than 15 years 13 years 13 yeah. years 12 so this December, I'll finish 13 years. Holy shit. I hadn't even realized that. And for again, at this point, I should tell my listeners, I've also been intensively, extensively tattooed by uh, Obi as well. I have a sleeve. Well, this podcast is completely audio, so there's no way I can show you, but there's some stuff on uh, both our Instagram accounts as well. And I had no idea. I just, that's not something I'd actually thought about. Your career is just 13 years old. That's really young for all the achievements you've done. Thank you. I kind of like started, there's probably a reason for that. It's also because I, uh, most of the tattooers who are also my friends in India, usually they move to tattooing from another profession. Mm -hmm. Right? Either they were like in advertising or they were like, you know, professional uh, commercial artists. Some of them were jewelers. Some of them were musicians. Some of them were uh, graphic designers, right? Yeah. Uh, fashion designers. Uh, but I, I had no other profession. Tattooing was my profession. Like right after college, I started tattooing. So I never really, quote unquote, had a real job. I can relate to that intimately. And uh, not, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, I realized like at that, like that junction where I knew I had to make major life decisions. I knew mu- music was the only thing I could do because there was literally nothing else I was good at or else I thought. I, I, was, uh, I was good at writing, but, you know, at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah that was uh, almost a similar uh, career path that I had in mind before tattooing, writing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I, I, think that I, was, I was so I was silly enough to think that I could be a poet. And <laughs> nothing yeah, silly that, about it at all. I mean, some would say thinking you could be a tattoo artist and a you know global figure at the same yeah, would be but, sillier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I wanted to be. There was there was uh, one of the things now that you mentioned writing. Yeah, poetry was something that I was uh, really keen on too but uh, you still write no no now, now i have other ways to express myself so okay. i don't i don't i mean i write still but nothing nothing serious anymore hmm. i'm trying to figure out what the best way is to trace your career now okay i still don't know how you actually from that first moment where you got tattooed for the first time to the point where you actually started working professionally as a tattoo artist Take us through what what, what what happened there. This is where things get really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> this, uh... So uh, when I first got my tattoo in uh, Bangalore, I almost almost kind of already knew that I wanted to tattoo. Huh. Because uh, it was it was one of those moments, you know, you sit down and you kind of, already know okay this is what i'm gonna do for the rest of my life it was one of those things wow but uh, because tattooing was still like you yeah i mean it was not really it was probably at that time there were not more than 10 tattooers in the whole country 10 in the entire country a country of 1 billion people i'm talking about like not i'm not considering the ones who are tattooing in mela or tribal tattooers right those numbers would probably be much more but i'm talking about like electric Contemporary tattooing. Registered yeah? legal, legal tattoo artists, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, the ones in the villages are not illegal, but like it's just that, yeah. The, like a studio environment tattooer. Tattooers okay. who are kind of like tattooing in a studio environment, right? Okay, okay. Maybe 10, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that number went up to like 15, 16, maybe when I started tattooing. And which um, year was this? When I started? Uh, yeah. Or when I got tattooed. Around uh, about that era when there were only about 15... Uh, tattoo studios in the entire country in all of India. Two thousand three to two thousand six. Wow! And how many do you reckon there are now? Now, wow, yeah, that's like a rough uh, estimate. <laughs> From the last news that I got, like I think there are around twenty five thousand people <sighs> with. The- tattoo machines i cannot wow. i cannot see tattoo artists but like people with tattoo machines who yeah. are 25 to 30000 or how, how many how many tattoo studios do you think there are in india now 
I, I have no idea, but yeah. I can tell you this from uh, from what I know is in Calcutta, just in Calcutta, not even West Bengal as a whole. Sixteen uh, uh, years back, there were like zero tattoo studios, none. Yeah. Uh, now there are close to about a hundred just in Calcutta. Wow. Yeah. Man, those are figures. So from 15 in an entire country, which is close to a subcontinent, by the way, mm-hmm. to a hundred in each metropolitan. So Yeah, that's just Calcutta, which is like a, uh, that number goes, uh, the number is probably three times that in like in Mumbai or something or in Delhi. Wow, wow. So much food for that. But I don't want to lose focus uh, on your story. So uh, where were we? You you just you you knew that this is what you were going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. But like, of course, you had no. I had no clue how to go about it because, like I said, even then, tattooing was not really a thing. I mean, imagine Bangalore was such a big city full of youngsters, you know, and there was just one tattooer. Mm-hmm. So chances of me trying to get into this very slim and also i had to study and had to you know get a job as soon as possible because my father was about to retire you know then i had to i had to be the earning member of the family as soon as possible right no pressure and no pressure at all no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah easy easy yeah. yeah so i finished my uh, graduation uh, and i went back to calcutta for a year i took a year off to kind of study for uh, cat you know, the examination that you take to get into like an MBA, MBA yeah. college. Yeah. And that was my plan because that was like the easiest and the fastest way to get a job was to finish, a, get an MBA degree. Um, and that is when I got exposed to these, uh, the tattooing. And uh, needless to say, I didn't do my MBA. But uh, yeah, I, I, I got introduced to a few people who exposed me to the world of tattooing and uh, kind of I took it and ran ran with it from there pretty much yeah one of them was uh, this ex con from from California he was he was deported to India huh. uh, under circumstances that I'm not I don't think I should reveal but uh, he was he was living in my neighborhood and he was one of the first guys to kind of yeah show me what tattooing is pretty much. I mean, not that he knew a lot, but he was in prison for so long that he knew what we call as uh, prison tattooing, you mm-hmm. know. So he had, and uh, my exposure or my my initiation into in tattooing was through that. So wait, this dude was American or like Indian American? He was, um, well, he was deported to India, so he wasn't really American, but oh, he spent okay, all okay. his life in America. Gotcha, gotcha. I can tell you that. Like he spent all his life in America, but there, due to some uh, some problems that he got himself into, he had to be deported back to India, but he spent most of his life in America. And your initiation into tattooing hands-on, the first of it was through the medium of prison tattooing like that specific form yeah because uh, he he learned his like he was tattooing people from his room in my neighborhood huh. and he had learned that in prison so he had this own homemade machine he used to make his own inks uh wow. you know he was there was no needle it was just a e-string of a guitar which was just sharpened Jesus. you use a yeah, you use a file and sharpen the E string of a guitar, hook it up with a Walkman uh, motor, and you got a tattoo machine. Wow! For my friends who don't know what a Walkman is, it it's a <laughs> <laughs> it's a portable tape recorder. Some of us used to listen to music on, and has a whirring tape mechanism. So there are rotating machinery. There's rotating machinery in there. I'm guessing that's what is being used to. Yeah, the, the motor basically yeah. is used. And, uh, I mean, you could use a toothbrush, uh, electric toothbrush motor. You could use practically any motor, which is like uh, the motor from an electric car. You could use those. How much can we talk about uh, how you, you know, would you say he was your first teacher? Well, that's that would be a stretch. But uh, I would say, I don't know what how to really how to really categorize him. He was, he did, he helped me 
with my first baby steps in, in tattooing. I would say he was my first mentor in a way. Okay. Yeah, I okay. would say that, yes. Yeah. And so the first tattoo, do you remember your first tattoo as, as the artist and not the... Uh... I do, I do. It's on a... I mean, there is a crazy story in that too, and I, I cannot, uh, I cannot tell you the entire story because it involves someone who is not there anymore okay. uh, amongst us. But um, it, uh, it, I tattooed someone from my neighborhood as well, and later uh, she had some unfortunate things happen to her, and you know stuff like that. But I remember my first tattoo very distinctly. Uh, and uh, I also remember my second tattoo, actually. You know, my first tattoo, well, actually, there was, I, I made a mistake. My first tattoo is on a friend of mine. I did a cross, a big cross on his back. A big yeah. cross? Yeah. Like how big? Yeah. Well, for that time and for my, my skill level at that time, it was pretty big, <laughs> pretty damn big. It took me nine hours to finish. You, so well, hang on a minute. Your, your first tattoo was for nine hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is not advisable. I think oh. no one should do that. But uh, I did it because, yeah, well. Uh, um, no one should get themselves tattooed for nine hours either from someone who's doing it for the first time in his life. Yeah, yeah. Are you I still know. in touch with you, that friend of yours? He's a fucking hero. Yeah, he is a hero. We're still friends, uh, thankfully. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that tattoo is worth a lot of money right now i mean <laughs> i doubt that but yeah he was really nice uh, actually he he's the one who introduced me to the this person who i was talking about we're talking about before gotcha so he's the guy who was who introduced me to him and so, what's the machinery used um, by the time uh, i tattooed him i had managed to uh, get my hands on this uh, really uh, this Chinese machines that were available at that point in time, okay. which also I, I couldn't, of course, I couldn't afford them. I had no money, but a very good friend of mine, uh, she uh, sent them over to me. She kind of ordered it for me online and I got them. Gotcha. Thanks, thanks to her. Yeah. Do we want to shout out at her? Her name is Srijata. She right. lives in uh, Canada. She's okay. a... Shout yeah. out to Shri Jatha. You're the reason I have some beautiful tattoos on me. So thanks, Shri Jatha. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shri Jatha. Yes. Wow. Um, so it wasn't a tape recorder you were using to tattoo for nine hours. No, I just used it. I just used it uh, once just to see how how it feels, and I I and uh, he used it on me. So I got a tattoo from him with the tape recording machine, like a prison prison jig basically wow. i need to take a look at that sometime that must be pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um so Dense. W what happened next you have your first tattoo. did you um charge him for it uh was my it friend a, yeah was it a paid job or was it just experimentation no, that was a that that was my first tattoo the, the paid the, my first paid job is the one i was referring to before that you okay. know the, the the woman that was uh, my first paid tattoo Okay, and I'm trying to figure out. I mean, you hinted it's it's not it's it's an area we probably shouldn't go towards, but I'm still slightly confused exactly to why. Well, because uh, she kind of uh, like were, were the repercussions of that tattoo. No, not not because of the tattoo, but okay. there's some things that happened to her in the future. Later on, okay. which uh, yeah, which kind of. Uh, gravely impacted her life and then i think uh she also she's not she also passed away a few years back okay okay not because of that uh incident per se but like she was also sick but obviously it had an impact on her okay. but yeah so i don't i don't want to like discuss that but that was my first she was my first paid customer okay so but speak. just to clarify you know the unfortunate incident that happened in her life was not had nothing to do with you tattooing her no, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What happens next? How do you get your business going? Well, there was no business at that time, man. I mean, I was... Uh, so what I did was my operation was basically 
kind of made some deals with uh, salons, hair salons, and and some beauty salons, and some shady massage parlors in Calcutta. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to stop you at this point and tell you a funny story because uh, the barber I go to when I'm in Calcutta. Uh, yeah. he actually has some decent tattoos on him and I asked him how, where he got those and he said oh there's this dude uh, who comes by we can do it we can have you have one done for you too if you want and they're really pretty okay the tattoos uh, yeah I mean and the prices are, are you know figures I shouldn't even mention on an international podcast actually <laughs> well it all starts somewhere I, I remember telling you the story and you said yeah who do you think started that entire <laughs> thing so so let me get this straight so legit you're the one who started the whole practice of you know uh, I, I would I would say that that was the practice at that time right okay. I was I, I I kind of contributed a lot to it okay but okay. that was the norm that time. There yeah. were no tattoo studios around. That's, yeah. So the only place you could tattoo or the only place you thought you could get clients was in a place where uh, people went to beautify themselves. Exactly. Because, yeah. Also so for my non-Desi listeners, you know, before you blow your imagination out of proportion, it's, it's kind of common. I mean, like barbershops and beauty salons in India or even in Asia, they're not just places you go to get a shampoo. There's a lot more that, that happens anyway. And uh, in a way for me, I, it doesn't, you know, I don't find it jarring tattooing in a beauty salon. It kind of even, you know, they, they seem kind of interlinked anyway on a random side note. Sorry. Maybe. Well, you'd, you'd be surprised to know that that is uh, how uh, tattooing was happening back in the day in uh, Western countries as well. Like, oh, actually, I'm not surprised to know. That makes complete yeah, sense Yeah, tattooing was me. happening in barbershops, behind barbershops before. Right. Like, okay. Really, really in the, I would say, I don't even know which which decade I'm talking about. It must be in the 50s or something, 60s or something ah. like that. Yeah, that makes but sense to me. Was happening, yeah, it was happening yeah. behind barbershops. Ah, gotcha. Mm. Um, w- do you remember when you came up with the idea of doing this? Well, that was pretty much the norm. Like I said, it was just, that is what you did. So I, what I did was I tried to find some nice salons and I went to them, spoke to them. And uh, what I would do is I would leave a like a portfolio of designs with the with the prices mentioned underneath, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And if someone is like getting a haircut or or a massage or whatever, they could just get go through the the portfolio and select whatever designs they want. If they want one, uh, then the shop would call us, and then I would hop on my bike, go there, set up, tattoo that, and then yeah, come back home. Or sometimes if I would get two calls in a day, then I would. Uh, I had I had uh, the setup. My setup was exactly equipped to handle two tattoos without having to like without having to sterilize anything. So I would uh, go from one shop, finish one tattoo, and from there I would go to another shop uh, if I had another client, and then finish that, and then come back home, sterilize everything, and if I had another client next day, which I didn't, but if I did, I would I could use it again. And uh, when I started off, there were like I was lucky. If, if I had like four or five clients in a month, that was a good month. And how long did it take till that became a reality? Um, you mean when 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 started getting more clients? Yeah, like when four to five clients a month became the norm. Oh, when I started off, like, I, because I would also do like house calls, right? <laughs> mm. I would go to I would go to people's houses and tattoo them there, you know, because you had to, and uh, there was no other way, so. Yeah, it would slowly, it was, it, it it picked up pretty, it didn't take very long to pick up because uh, there were not many tattooers in the city at that time, right? Most of the people who had like tattoos in Calcutta at that time usually were the ones who traveled to Thailand or something like that and they got tattooed there. Yeah, or Nepal. And, uh, uh, Nepal also not. At that time also Nepal wasn't that big in tattooing. Really? It was, it was mainly Thailand, Phil- Philippines, uh, so usually, usually that, hmm. and they were like, I think when I started, they were, from what I remember, there were like three other tattooers in the city, right? All in there, either in a beauty salon or in, in their house, they're tattooing out of their house or doing house calls like, like me. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's pretty much how it, uh, happened. What was the official version, uh, you were telling your parents 
regarding your job at this did they know you this is what you were doing full time already yeah they knew i was start doing because i remember some interesting stories on how uh, you got laughed at when you actually told someone that that's what you do for a living that wasn't your parents that was it like a school teacher or something no that was my teacher I'm a, right. a teacher in a school yeah so tell us about the initial reactions like generally from people uh, i think i think most people kind of uh, wrote it off which is a normal reaction i mean i was angry then i'm not anymore because most people wrote it off because they didn't know what it was and i don't blame him them for that anymore but it's just that it it didn't exist you know you it, you couldn't no one knew that this could be a profession because it wasn't right mm-hmm. it wasn't a profession so when i when i told someone that okay i was tattooing they would first question would probably be like what what's that you know what 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 is that so uh what's the yeah. shittiest situation you can remember with in this regard like the most ridiculous one um well i try not to remember these things so that's why probably i don't remember them i'm pretty sure some of yeah some of i'm sure a lot of things happened but it probably would be many times i would t- go to someone's place and tattoo them and uh, the money that i would get from tattooing uh, it would it would obviously get late sometimes and so that i had to take a cab sometimes if i didn't have a motorbike mm-hmm. and the and the the cab fare would be more than what i got paid for the tattoo so that was not a lot of fun but i didn't mind that at that time because i i got to tattoo and i got to learn something new and that was that was worth it wow man that's some next level shit there yeah it's uh <laughs> yeah because i would i would be charging like 800 rupees or something you know mm-hmm. 500 800 600 rupees for a tattoo and sometimes uh, if if you take a cab in the night in calcutta you know how it is they don't go by the meter and mm-hmm. they would charge you like 500 for a to travel from salt lake to where i lived so yeah that's gone <laughs> yeah wow how many kilometers would that be for people who've never been to kolkata salt lake to behala oh i have no idea that would be what no 50 idea. oh no 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 not that much no salt lake to calcutta no i have actually i have no idea very very bad with directions and stuff like that gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows so you know when the next episode is out this is a labor of love one i hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating and having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect much love and talk soon just another voice out in the 